Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, page 1180, in your pew Bibles. We'll read 1 Timothy 6, and we're looking at verses 11 through 16. This morning, the call to both flee and fight, First Timothy six. This is God's word. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. He's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But, here's our text, 11 through 16. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard 
the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. May God add his blessing to his word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, take note of the first two words of our text in the Greek, but you. But you. These are how the false teachers operate. But you. This is how the world operates. But you. It's a call to be different. It's a call to run in the opposite direction from the direction of the false teachers and the world. The world runs toward idols. The man of God, the woman of God is to run toward Christ. But you, opposite set apart. It's Paul's call to Timothy, rise up, O man of God. But Timothy is to do this as an example, remember, to the believers. It's a call to all Christians, rise up, O people of God, and pursue the things of God in a world that pursues all the wrong things. Rise up. One time, Somebody came to Pastor John MacArthur and said, you gotta lighten up. You're preaching too seriously. Lighten up, said Pastor MacArthur. Christians need to sober up. We need to become more serious about pursuing the things of God in a world that wants us to pull its way. God is calling us to Go his way and fight for that. Here Timothy is given the title, O man of God, a title reserved for guys like Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha. What a title. But it shows the seriousness of a calling of every leader in the church. O man of God, pastor, O man of God, elder, O man of God, Deacon, but it's really the calling of every child of God. Well, here we're called to wage war, first of all. There's a serious war to wage under watchful witnesses while awesome wonder awaits. The blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, we are Aiming to be in his presence forever. That's where the text ends. That's where the the fight leads. The fight of the faith. The good fight. So first of all, brothers and sisters, leaders in the church, there's a serious war to wage. Under four F's. First, flee. But as for you, O man of God, 
flee these things. What things? The things that he's just been talking about in the first part of the chapter. Remember the two cravings, the unhealthy cravings, the craving for controversy, for gaslighting. And then secondly, an unhealthy craving for riches, the desire for riches, the love of money, those two unhealthy cravings. Oh, man of God, flee from them. The love of fighting, controversy, in which you are throwing out an opinion to create division and make a name for yourself rather than for Christ. Flee. Free the love of money, or flee the love of money. And the word flee is always used for running in the Bible, not walking. Running away from great danger. The Bible says flee from the wrath of God. Flee to Jesus Christ. The Bible says flee idolatry. The Bible says flee sexual immorality. There's some things that are so dangerous you can't get close to them or they get a hold on your soul. So rather than move toward them and get as close as you can to the edge, run the other way. There are times when we must show our back to evil and run as fast as our legs will take us in the opposite direction. And two of those are the craving for controversy and the love of money far more dangerous than we realize a kind of notoriety that is not gospel-oriented. Flee. Second is follow. It says pursue righteousness, the old King James. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. You're going to flee from something bad. you got to flee to something good, or you end up in no man's land, and you become the prey of the devil again. I love that word, Pursue, it means to follow after, to chase or run after. It means to hunt in the Greek, hunt. I love the patient persistence of hunters. Talking to a hunter who this past week, after following a buck, you maybe know the story, for four years, got him. 12-point buck. On the chase for four years. With intensity, focus, patience, persistence. Got him. That's the word. That's the way we must pursue godliness. Righteousness. Faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Just a word about each. Pursue righteousness. That's integrity in your relationships at home, in public or in private, and in public. That you walk your talk. You live your confession. Integrity, righteousness. Second, godliness. You're walking with the Lord in a close relationship to him. You're imitating him. You're seeking to become more like him. Godliness, faith, Looking to Christ every day for your worthiness. Your worthiness is not in your works, how well you're doing, but in Christ Jesus alone, his perfection. But also looking to him for your strength each day to fight the good fight and to handle the troubles that you're facing right now. That's faith. 
resting in for your worthiness and your strength. And then love, a commitment to God and your neighbor in which you keep sacrificing yourself. You give yourself up for their sake, letting yourself go. Steadfastness, that's patience mixed with endurance, where you endure hardships and unfair treatments. Whoever gets treated right, whenever is life fair, don't expect it to be. But you endure hardships and unfair treatment, not passively, but faithfully without giving up. That's steadfastness. But that's got to be mixed with gentleness. That as you endure hardship, steadfastly without giving up, you remain gentle. As Paul advises Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.25, correct your opponents with gentleness. You must stand up to false teachers, but don't be harsh. Kindness instead of rudeness. Pursue these. Jonathan Edwards says, if we see any of the followers of Christ in the midst of the most violent, unreasonable, and wicked opposition of God's and his own enemies, if we see such a believer maintaining under all this temptation the humility and quietness and gentleness of a lamb and the harmlessness and love and sweetness of a dove, we may well judge here is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Pursue these. Chase these. Hunt for these. Make this your life's ambition and consecration, beloved. And I must. Remember the end of 1 Timothy 4. Let all see your progress. Flee. Follow. Fight is the third one. Fight the good fight of faith as we wage the war. There's good fighting in the church and there's bad fighting. Bad fighting was described, remember, in verses three through five, an unhealthy craving for controversy where people love to throw out their opinions and gain notoriety for this, as we said. But there's also necessary fighting, which is not for controversy, but for holding on to the faith, which means the truth of the gospel, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse three. Because if you're not going to leave the faith, you got to defend it. You can't just sit in the middle. This is why generations lose faith. They settle on the laurels, the fight of a previous generation, and they say, we're good to go for a long time. We can take our ease. And when you don't fight the good fight of faith, you lose it. I'm just going to list some of the, the doctrines that we got to fight for that are just found in 1 Timothy, which you can read in less than half an hour. I'm just going to list them. He must fight for the truth of the inspiration and infallibility of Scripture. He must fight for the sovereignty of God's grace as the power that saves sinners. He must fight the holiness for the holiness of God. He must fight for the justice of God and his just wrath and sentencing sinners to eternal punishment must fight for the truth of human depravity and the necessity of regeneration, being born again by the Holy Spirit. He must fight for the cross as the place, the only place where sin is atoned for through a perfect mediator and substitute, Jesus Christ. 
He must fight for the necessity of faith for salvation, which comes through the church's ministry of preaching and teaching. He must fight for the necessity of godliness as the fruit of faith. He must fight for the doctrine of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. All these and more are found just in these epistles of First and Second Timothy. These are not the love of controversy. These are the love of the gospel for the salvation of sinners, as Paul said in chapter four, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and the doctrine, for in so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. We must not be a contentious people, but we must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 4. That concerns me for myself and the coming generation often happens in church life. One generation fights a battle. The next one takes it easy. The third one loses it. Every generation, brothers and sisters, every generation has a foe to face and a war to wage. And that's the good fight of the faith, speaking of the doctrine found in all of scripture, the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. Paul himself was a great example of this, 2 Timothy 4, where he says at the end of his life, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You always say, well, that's, that's, that's no problem for Paul because he's so faithful. It was a fight every day for him. We should never assume orthodoxy. Many voices to pull us away toward unhealthy teaching that doesn't agree with godliness. And we have to keep staring at whatever's coming our way and saying, is this of God? Is this according to scripture? Is this, is this the faith? Or is it not? And the fourth F, take hold of eternal life or fasten yourself onto it. Get a grip on it is what it means. of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made, you made the good confession in the presence of witnesses. In other words, as you flee sin, and as you follow after godliness, and as you fight the good fight of the faith, keep your focus on the target. Fasten your hope and your mind and your heart on the eternal life. Don't let go what you say Eternal life is mine. I have it in Jesus Christ. Yes. But as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, I take hold of that for which Christ laid hold on me. So when Christ lays hold on your life and gives you the gift of eternal life, from that moment on, you chase after that. You pursue, that's your focus. That's your goal. You keep grabbing onto that because it's easy for us to take our eyes off the prize. And then suddenly our fighting the faith and our fleeing sin and our following after godliness sort of loses its focus. So there's the focus. 
fasten your hope and your mind and your heart onto the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we're called to wage war. But we do so, secondly, brothers and sisters, under watchful witnesses. There are three witnesses listed in this passage. One human and two divine. Witnesses. Who support us in the war. Witnesses always serve two purposes in our lives. They serve to hold us accountable. We were there. We heard your vows. Brother. Sister. Why are you turning away? Serve for accountability and for encouragement, both of those. And all three of these witnesses listed in the passage serve as accountability partners and as encouragement and support for the believer. I love the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's such a good dictionary of the I know it's a shame to call it a dictionary. I shouldn't call it that. But such a good account of the, the foes we face and the struggles, the hardship of being a Christian. But one of the, the shortfalls in the book is that Christians usually alone. And, and he should be traveling in a group. There are many witnesses. So Timothy, there are three witnesses that go with you in this war of the Christian life and ministry. First is the human witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That may refer to his ordination, but most likely refers to his profession of faith and baptism into the new covenant. There he was, standing up in the midst of the congregation, many witnesses, And he vowed that he trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation. That he committed his life to serving the Lord and following him to the end. And never swerving from his profession of Christ. And he didn't do that alone. There were many there to listen to him. And as he waged war, he could look back on the faces of those who heard his confession of faith. I can't disappoint them. I gotta be true. That's why God makes vow events, occasions with witnesses so we can look back. These people heard us. I didn't do this in a corner all by myself. I, I have to honor the community. But they're also his supporters. They're there to help me. We, in our infant and adult baptism forms, we, we make a pledge that we're going to encourage the brother and sister in their faith and in their walk with God. We're there to help you. But Timothy has more witnesses than just the human ones that surrounded him. 
He's got two far more important witnesses to whom he's accountable and who are his supporters. And that's God the Father and God the Son, the two divine witnesses. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. Ultimately, his orders come from the commander-in-chief who's the creator and sustainer of all life. Ultimately, it matters not what that person says or this person says. It's what matters is what God says. You know, the, the worst thing Jesus told us and he warned us about not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Matthew 7, 21, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who makes a profession of faith. Not everyone who likes to say, Jesus is my Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, in other words, he who's true to it. Because many will say in that day, said Jesus, didn't I own you as my Lord? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. What matters most is not if you say you know him, but does God know you? Does he know you as one of his true children who repented of your sin, trusted in Jesus, and walked in his way seriously to the end of your life? Yes, we fall, we fail, but we repent. It's the life of faith. So there's accountability there to God, the commander-in-chief, but there's support. He gives life to all things, Paul says. We're dying every day in the ministry, but God who raises the dead, he's our strength. I know this thing is killing you, what you're going through, the hardship you face. But be true to your God. Walk in his way. Uphold the faith that you confessed in his presence because he gives you life and he will not let you down. Those who trust in him will not be put to shame, the Bible says. And even if it kills you, he's gonna raise you to life. Nobody else can do that. Certainly, leaving God will not do that for you at all. It leads you to eternal destruction. So I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, the second divine witness, the third of the witnesses in this passage. And of Christ Jesus, the presence of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is such a lovely statement. What matters is not so much the testimony I make among friends. That does matter. But what's the testimony of the confession I'll make before Pontius Pilate? Before enemies who want to kill me. Now I know Pontius Pilate himself didn't want want to kill Jesus, but he would kill him for his own convenience if he needed to to save his own skin. And Jesus took the witness stand when he was arrested and made the good confession before Pontius Pilate. That I'm the Christ of God. And I'm the king of the heavenly kingdom. And everyone who's on the side of truth listens to me, said Jesus. Wow. 
That's deadly when you're in front of Caesar's men. He didn't just make it with his mouth, but he, he offered it up in his blood. He's the true and faithful witness. And, and when I make the good confession in front of Jesus Christ, who made the con- good confession before Pontius Pilate, he's saying, you made the confession in good times, Timothy. You also got to also make it when you're facing the false teachers and the enemies who want to take you down, knock you down, drag you out. And so there's a, there's a great deal of, of fear and trembling for us leaders, all the people of God. My Savior did this before Pontius Pilate. Will I imitate him? Will I honor him? I made my confession in his name. Will I be true to his name? But there's also great encouragement in it. He knows what it is to be in my mess and my trouble. And he stood strong and he knows the pain and the fear. He cried out to God with loud cries and tears. He was afraid. The Bible says, and God strengthened him. And this Jesus will also strengthen you in your time of need. What a witness to have on your side. Brothers and sisters who love you, God the Father who sustains you, who gives and sustains life, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who made the good confession before Pontius Pilate, but also is coming back. That's what he says next. Also is coming back to take you home. There's a finish line. And it's a glorious one for those who stay in the faith. Who keep believing to the end. And so... In the presence of God the Father, in the presence of God the Son, keep the commandment. That is, hold on to the faith. Keep it unstained and free from reproach, meaning don't turn away from the living God. And keep it until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see thirdly. The awesome wonder that awaits us at the end of the war. Keep it until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 14. 15, which he will display at the proper time. This gives us certainty, confidence, boldness, encouragement, and rejoicing even as we face the cross now to know there's a crown waiting on the other side. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not put us on a suicide mission, but on a victory mission. That's what it's saying. Not a suicide mission doomed to destruction, but a victory mission destined for salvation. I want to read a couple of verses from the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we awake or asleep, we might live with him. Not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's the finish line, the awesome wonder of the end. That's where the good fight of the faith, fleeing, fleeing sin, idolatry, the wrath of God, following after godliness, righteousness, love, faith, patience, gentleness. Fighting the good fight of the faith, fastening onto eternal life, leads to this glorious end of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna take us home. Oh Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. So, what will the end be? Well, verse 15 or 14, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ is promised to every believer. Our life is hidden with God right now, says Paul in Colossians 3, but when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the eternal life, a lot of that is now hidden under suffering and trouble. But when Jesus comes back, it'll be exposed to full, in its full glory to us. A personal encounter with Jesus Christ. When will this be? Verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. It will be at the proper time. Well, that doesn't satisfy you. No one knows the time, not even the angels, the Bible says, not even the Son of Man in his human nature, but the day is fixed and God will send it, send his Son at just the right time, not a second too early, not a second too late, at the proper time. And then who will the end be? Well, Jesus will bring us, usher us into the presence of He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. He will deliver us into the glory and joy of heaven to live with God forever in the beauty of the new creation, which Revelation says is the eternal God coming down and spreading his tent over you. And we get to live with him. And he's the God of the four eyes. Invincible, verse 15, the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. He rules over emperors, superpowers, and rules them in such a way that he's building his kingdom. And Satan's king is getting destroyed. God's advancing. Invincible, immortal. He alone is immortality. The emperors claimed immortality. Nations, empires claim immortality. They all fall. Only God is inherently immortal and we are mortal as well. But if we trust in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us eternal life. Our immortality depends on his immortality. He alone has inherent 
immortality in and of himself. And then we'll always live in his life and depend on his life. He, the third eye, is immaculate. He dwells in unapproachable light. So bright, so pure, so holy. There's no wickedness. There's nothing wrong in him. He's inaccessible in his grandeur. Though we live in his presence always, we can never enter inside that presence and be deified. But we'll always walk alongside that presence in holy fellowship. Immaculate. And the fifth eye, or fourth eye, he is invisible, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Even when the saints saw God face to face like Moses. That's just figurative language for seeing the the hem of his robe. But to be in the presence of his glory is everything even if we can't see him face to face. Even Moses wanted to see him face to face, right? But God says, no one can see me and live, but I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock, put my hand over the front, and as I pa- after I pass by you, I'll give you a glimpse of the glow. And that is enough. That is everything. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. We'll spend eternity shouting his praises, giving him glory, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Now this is a faith and a salvation and a glory worth fighting for, worth pursuing with persistent patience, worth every ounce of energy, worth every sacrifice, worth even dying for. So rise up, O man of God. Rise up, O child of God. Fight the good fight with all thy might. Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right. Lay hold on life and it shall be thy thy crown and joy eternally. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you've set before us a huge summons. This is too much for us in our own strength. It seems unattainable, but we know that it's not by the power of your spirit. So help us, Lord, to fight this good fight, to wage the war, to lay hold on eternal life, and to live in pursuit of that great goal of meeting the Lord Jesus Christ in person being ushered into your awesome presence, you who live in unapproachable light, to live with you in heaven on earth forever and ever. What a day that will be. Lord, make each one of us pursuers of that goal, that glory through faith in Jesus Christ and encouragers of one another, for we're witnesses too encouragers of one another so that no one may be missing. We may all be there in that day. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.